Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the Give Online button. Okay, um, I am, I'm going to make an obvious statement here. I am a man. And um, as a man, I have no idea what it is like to be pregnant. So giving you a sermon on Elizabeth and then a little bit in the hint with Mary and how they encourage one another, I, I'm not sure how to convey uh, as best as possible. When my wife was pregnant, I learned a couple of things. First of all, um, pickles and peanut butter go well together, apparently. I have, <laughs> when you're not pregnant, it's even better. I have no idea how that, I, I also know that at two in the morning when she has a hankering for Taco Bell, you don't say, I'm sleeping. That, that isn't, you say, I will go get it right now. The drive-thru is open, we'll do it, just go do it, okay? Whatever you want, whenever you want it, because you're the one carrying the life of our child, and I'm not, right? I mean, how many times have you heard husbands who are like, man, that pregnancy was difficult, <laughs> It was exhausting. I had to get up in the middle of the night to go get Taco Bell. And then my wife's like, I had to stay up in the middle of the night because, you know, especially in the later times, I had to pee three times in the middle of the night. You know, there's more to me than the challenges that you face. And, and that was true all the way through. And I, I, I have to appreciate, ladies, when you have gone through the process of creating life. Now, I want to encourage you this morning, so if you want to look up in Luke chapter 1, we are going to jump into this third character of Elizabeth the Encourager. Uh, do we have the notes? Are we good? Perfect. Uh, so let's go through. Do we have the first one? With uh, There we go. So I'm going to go ahead and through Luke chapter 1. I'm not going to read these verses, Jordan, uh, just for the sake of time and um, you know, expediting to our purpose of the sermon. But I am going to use today's scripture to highlight the, the, the uh, review real quick. So if you go to Luke chapter 1, it starts out Luke chapter 1 verse 5. In the time of King Herod, now let's jump back two weeks. Herod is the antagonist. Don't get ahead of me. Go back, go back. I said, is it? Go back. Give me Herod. Okay. I know. I'm, I'm jumping around. From this morning when it was like we didn't have the notes and then I'm just going to skip through it a real quick speedy. Okay, Herod the antagonist, he is the one that we said was the Edomite. Antipater, his father, was from Edom. Edom is the descendants of, anybody know? You got Jacob and Esau, descendants of Esau. So Herod, the real play on words with this, the real creative part of this story is to acknowledge this, this perfect reversal of fortunes, that Herod the Great, the Edomite, what is back in the Old Testament when Obadiah says, Obad-Edom, you plundered Bethlehem, you plundered Judea, you plundered Jerusalem after Babylon came in and destroyed it. You, the older brother, came in and took advantage of them. You kicked them when they're down. So Obadiah is saying, Obad-Edom. And then you have Antipater the Edomite, whose son Herod becomes Herod the Great. Now get this, Esau's descendant is lording it over Jacob. But then you have the story of Jesus, that when he's born, they escape to Egypt, and right after they escape to Egypt, Herod dies. Herod dies in what we now know as 4 B.C., okay? That's Herod the Great. Herod the antagonist creates a way for the protagonist 
The one that says he's king of the Jews, even though he's an Edomite, gives way to the rightful king of the Jews, which is Jesus, who escapes and comes back and becomes the rightful king of the Jews. Then we moved to last week. We said, we know this all came true because of Gabriel. Now, when I told you about Gabriel, some of you probably thought, oh, that's the guy, that's the angel who showed up in Luke chapter 1 and talked to Zechariah and then talked to Elizabeth, or talked to Zechariah and then talked to Mary. And I introduced to you that if you do the math, it is crazy math. There are even people today who cannot figure out the math on this because they look at it and go, hey, it had to be edited by future scribes. But here's the real crazy part. The latest the scribes wrote was still 100 years before Jesus. So to get this math right is still highly improbable. What's the math? Okay. Gabriel didn't just show up with, Zachari- with Zechariah and Mary. Gabriel showed up in Daniel chapter 9. And to give you a quick summary, he told Daniel there are going to be 77s. There's going to be seven sevens, then there's going to be 62 sevens, and then there's going to be a final seven. Now, a quick review. Go ahead and give me Gabriel the messenger. The quick review is those 77s tell us exact years. If you take them in years, when the king announces to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. We know in Ezra chapter 7 that is Artaxerxes in Ezra chapter 7 says it will be done in 458 B.C. Now I'm going to give you some crazy math, but 458 B.C., 49 years, the first seven, seven sevens, 49 years. Anybody know what's special about 49 years? They rebuilt the temple and they had a year of jubilee. That was special in Old Testament. After 50, the 50th year was a year of Jubilee. So the, why did Gabriel tell them it's the seven sevens? Because they're going to rebuild the city and have a year of Jubilee. But then you have 62 sevens. You have 434 years. Well, what's 434 years? Did you know that the last prophet in the time of first century was Malachi? Malachi was the last prophet, and they call it the 400 years of silence. So after the 49 years, you have 434 years of no prophet. A year of silence. Now, why is that 434 years special? Because if you go from year 458 B.C. and you add the seven sevens and you add the 62 sevens, believe it or not, it's going to land you at 26 A.D. Some people say it's 27 A.D., but you've got to count in Jewish numbers. They count zero as one. That's the crazy math. I'm just telling you where it lands, 26 A.D. You go, what's special about 26 A.D.? When did Herod die? 4 B.C. Jesus was born in 4 B.C., 26 AD has him at 30. In Numbers, it says to become a priest, you have to be 30 years of age. Gabriel tells Daniel, the anointed one, the anointed one, and exactly to the year is likely Jesus' baptism. Anointed in, what is the anointing? Jesus' baptism, he comes up out of the water, and the Father from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on him. I kid you not, if it doesn't give you goosebumps, I can't give you a more fulfilling prophecy than Gabriel in Daniel chapter 9. Now, why is that so special? Because then Gabriel gets to come back, and he comes to Mary, and he says, Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, 500 years ago, I went and showed up to Daniel, and man, it was really rough. They had no temple, they had no city, but now all of a sudden you have the temple and you have the city, and guess what's coming? What? The anointed one. <sighs> Mary's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And Gabriel tells Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Ready? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. If you follow the word Jesus, Jesus is another way of saying Savior. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will be the anointed one, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Gabriel got to bring back the prophecy. And that is where we find ourselves with Elizabeth. Now you can go, catch me up to Elizabeth, the mess, the encourager. Now this is where it gets really crazy. We got Gabriel telling the story that there's a, mess, there's a message of hope. The anointed one is coming. And then I want to fast forward into this a little bit with Elizabeth. How many of you feel like it just keeps getting worse? How many of you think it, 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 have you ever said this this past year, how bad can it get? By the way, how many of you have decided not to say that anymore because the moment you say it, it gets worse? How bad can it get? So I'm going to use some fun. Uh, how many of you have seen Christmas Vacation? Clark Griswold. The epitome of how bad can it get because he was the eternal optimist is always going to be great. He says to his wife, Ellen, weeks before Christmas, I think everybody should stay at our house, both your parents and my parents and all the families. And so everybody's going to have a big family Griswold Christmas. And Ellen says, that's ridiculous. I don't think this is wise. I don't think we should have everybody at the house. Why? And then she says, well, your mom, my mom argues with your mom, and your mom accuses my mom of waxing her upper lip. And Clark says, your mom waxes her upper lip. She has for years, dear. Right? You know that whole story, right? And then all of a sudden, the, the travails of the Griswold Christmas comes to Christmas Eve, and then you have uh, Aunt Bethany brings two, I think she brings two gifts, doesn't she bring one, and it's the cat, so they get the cat out before it suffocates, and then they give another gift, it's leaking, and it's, it's Aunt Bethany's uh, favored, what used to be favored, jello with cat, yeah, it's got the cat food in the jello, your cousin Eddie loves it, he thinks it's great, get more of that jello. They're sitting at the dinner table, and then this is how things progress Christmas Eve, right, they're supposed to have this, this wonderful moment, and then first the cat gets fried right? The cat gets under the chair, starts shooting the lights, Meow! and then and it's got a hole, and it lets the chair on fire. They get the chair out. Crisis avoided. But then they go back, and they hear something in the tree, and what's in the tree? Well, they went out and cut it, the old-fashioned Griswold Christmas tree, and they brought it in. Lots of sap, lots of sap, right? And the tree has a squirrel, and the squirrel comes flying out. Well, that's great, because Cousin Eddie showed up, and he has this dog, which is a Rottweiler, which chases the squirrel, which takes off all the food, including the really dry turkey, and then they, they jumps up against the wall, and the cabinet's falling. Everything crashes. There's garbage all over the kitchen. Everything's falling apart. And to make matters worse, Uncle Lewis decides to light a cigar, because apparently back then you smoked inside, and lit the cigar, and poof, the tree goes up in flames, and there's no more tree. And Clark goes, Uncle Lewis, what did you do to my tree? And he goes, Clark, what's the matter? And he's on fire, too. You know, he turns, and they have to get him, and... Finally, the ending of the whole thing. Everyone starts to leave. You guys know this part? Clark gets in front of the door, blocking them, and he says, Oh, no! Nobody's walking out on this fun old family fashion Christmas. No, no! We are all in this together! This is a full-blown holiday emergency here. We're going to press on, and we're going to be the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby danced with Danny Kay! And Ellen says, No, Clark. It's over. Everybody's going home before it gets worse. And you all know what Clark said. Worse! Worse! 
Look around you, Ellen. How can it even get worse? He's lost his mind. His father comes in and talks to him after he has this mental breakdown. Eventually, you see it lead back to the reading of the Christmas story. What's the night before Christmas? There's always an upside. It wouldn't be a good story if you just left it in the chapter of misery. There has to be an upside. This is the thing that is coming up with us with Elizabeth and Mary. And I'm going to encourage you. You have two choices. And I want to share this really quite plainly. So listen for a minute. If this is you, understand what choice you're making. There are two choices. One, you could be overly depressed with everything that's going on. One, you can decide to choose more drinking. One, you could choose to be more isolated. One, you could choose to be more scared. One, you could choose to be more of a victim. One, you can choose that it's just not getting better. Or there's another choice. One, you could choose to be thankful for your job. One, you could be choosing to how to reset your life's priorities. One, you could be choosing to spend more quality time with family. One, you could choose in sort of this disarray to focus on your health, your wellness, your relationships. It's always about perspective, not about the circumstances. Listen to Elizabeth in how this plays out. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of King Herod, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now catch this, this great disproportion pain. They are supposed to be faithful and from a priestly lineage, like you can't get any closer to God than Zechariah and Elizabeth, but they are barren. Barren was always believed to be a curse. People would say, why is this happening to you? Because something you've done, right? The old story of Job, you're not suffering because it's just random. You're suffering because you've done something to offend God. You can go through the Old Testament and find this out. Abraham and Sarah, she's barren. She's not able to have children. She doesn't believe that God is going to bless her. She doesn't believe that God has been good to her. Later you have Rachel. Leah is able to have babies, and she actually mocks Rachel because she can't have babies. She goes to Jacob and she says, give me a child or I will die. Later you have Hannah. Hannah, her husband, whose other wife is having children, and the other wife mocks Hannah, makes fun of her because she can't have children. She goes and pleads with God at the temple and says at the tabernacle, I am barren and I am cursed. Now, we know this isn't the case today. We have wonderfully shifted that sort of patriarchal and theological pain, consequence, if you will. But in the day of Elizabeth, she was unable to conceive. In fact, it says not only old age, she was stricken with old age. She's so old, she's past menopause, she's past the time of having children. 
Zechariah goes into the temple of the Holy of Holies. So I'm going to paint a picture for you. In the temple, just like the church be set up right now, Zechariah is going in like that curtain back through the doors. That's the Holy of Holies. The priest, the high priest, is only allowed to go in there one time a year. At this time of Zechariah, there's probably 8,000 priests that could be the person to go in there. They're lucky if they get the chance to go once in their lifetime. Zechariah, the lots are cast. He is the one that's allowed to go in. He's supposed to go in, and he's going to relight the incense that burned from the last Yom Kippur, the last time it was the incense was burned. The incense in the Holy of Holies is the prayers of the people lifted up. He gets to go in, reignite the prayers right before God, the Shekinah of God, the dwelling of God among the people is in that space. While God is everywhere, he's intimately there. Then Zechariah is supposed to come out, and he's supposed to bless the people. And the way the people were staggered out is that they'd have the priests in their space, and then they'd have the court of Jews, which the Jewish men, I'm sorry ladies, and they'd have the court of women, and then outside all of that they'd have the court of Gentiles. And the priests would come out and bless all of them with the wisdom of God after coming out. But Zechariah is in there, and Gabriel shows up. It surprises Zechariah, right? Like, you're supposed to come to church and expect God. How many of you came today and you expect God to show up? Man, I got things to do. I got food on the crock pot, and we just get through the last of the songs and get to eat. I have actually had somebody say to me, when we've had altar calls. It was really nice that they came forward, but church went an hour and a half. I know. I didn't come here to have God show up. I came here to light the incense, to do the things that are formalities of church, and then I'm supposed to go out there and bless the people and go on. Zechariah had God show up, and Gabriel said, hey, your wife's going to become pregnant. And he says, no, she's not. She can't. She is way old in years. He says, uh, just because you don't believe now, you are not going to be able to speak until she has the child. What? Imagine, Zechariah comes out. The high priest comes out the one time a year. He's supposed to bless everybody. He comes out, and he goes. He couldn't speak. Shocks everybody. They don't understand. How can he not speak? How does he not have words to say? He can't speak till the baby's born. He and Elizabeth go home. She is in seclusion for five months. We assume this is time for her in her old age to make sure that her baby is safe, but quite possibly because they didn't want to let the cat out of the bag until they were sure, until she was showing. At the same time, Gabriel visits Mary. We all know that story. Gabriel then follows up and says to Mary, you who are highly favored, you will give birth to the Son, the Messiah, the Son of God. Everyone here is going to look at this and say, being pregnant is so exciting and good for them. Creating life is a good thing. But pause. For Elizabeth, it's not a good thing, is it? They didn't have health insurance. They didn't have Social Security. She is of old age. A fourth of babies born in Jesus' day died. Half the children died before they reached puberty. To get a child to come of age was in its own way a miracle. Elizabeth and Zechariah are old. She could die in pregnancy. She could die in giving birth. Giving birth to John. John may not make it to adulthood. They may not live long enough to raise him. There is much to be at stake having a child in old age. And then Mary being pregnant. Well, Mary's not just pregnant. Mary is a virgin. It's scandalous. Everybody would look upon her and say, you, this peasant Galilean, you're not married. You're engaged, but you're not married. How did you get pregnant? What did you do? Both of them could say, how bad can it get? But this is their greeting. And I want to close with you identifying with this encouragement. 
Did you know that the candles, by the way, there's three purples and there's one pink. We do the Advent candle. There's hope, peace, joy, and love. Today is the Sermon on Joy. Everybody notices I'm wearing pink. Today's the color of pink. Now, we know Christmas is red, but the reason they did purple and pink is that they wanted to acknowledge the early church that Jesus suffered in his humanity. He gave up the throne of heaven to become a peasant baby and to be raised as a Galilean, as a peasant, poor carpenter, and then ultimately to give his life on the cross and his death and sacrifice. So everybody in the early church said it's purple. It's the, it's the color of sacrifice. But then they said, well, there's too much. We have to have something of joy at Christmas. So they added this pink, and they said pink is the color of joy. And they go back to Mary's Magnificat. She celebrated being pregnant. Even as hard as it is, no matter how much purple is in your life, there is still something pink and joyful. After Gabriel visits Mary, Mary immediately, now think about this, Mary finds out she's pregnant. She's pregnant and conceived by the Holy Spirit. So she's going to go tell her parents. No. She's going to go tell Joseph. No. She's going to go, here it is, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. At the time Mary got ready, she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I laugh at this. Mary tears off after Gabriel meets her. At some point in this, she gets actually pregnant. She's conceiving the, by the Holy Spirit, and she gets to Uncle Zach. She's like, out of my way! And she runs to Elizabeth. The first person she wanted to greet is Elizabeth. And now listen to what Elizabeth does. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now ready for this? In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Did you just catch that? Zechariah came out. He was supposed to bless the people, and he couldn't, right? He didn't have a voice. He doubted even in the Holy of Holies, and now he has no voice. But now, when Jesus is present, the first person who encounters Jesus other than Mary says, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you'll bear. Why am I favored? Why am I favored that you, the mother of my Lord, should come to me? You catch that? Why wouldn't you go to Joseph? Why wouldn't you go to your parents? Why would you come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise in her. And the two women, they greeted each other. Now get this. They didn't greet each other. And she said, Mary, you're not going to believe this. I am really old. I'm past menopause. I'm not even supposed to be pregnant. I have a child. And then Mary says, you're not going to believe this. I'm pregnant. I'm not even married. What is wrong with this world? And to make matters worse, there's probably going to be a pandemic. And our pets' heads are falling off. What movie? All right. Everything's just going around. It's terrible. Neither of them came in to complain to each other. They both came to each other to encourage each other. They gave each other joy. It is a special relationship. I can only imagine, I'm making some extra biblical assumptions, but these two ladies out of this biblical story tell us a couple of things. First of all, if you're of older years, don't be grumpy. Stop being the grumpy person. I tell you know, my grandkids, they love the game. It's the, it's the get off my lawn guy. That's what we play. We play a game. And all it is is that when we're in their bedroom and we want to burn off some steam, I sit in the rocking chair and I'm the grumpy old guy. And when they get down off the bed and they get into my yard, get off my property! Get out of my yard! They think that's hilarious. I scare them. They go running back and they get back onto their beds and they go climbing up. And, oh! Elizabeth is not grumpy. She's joy. Second, Every one of us is going to face challenges. You don't have to be the victim. 
You do not have to be the victim. Every one of us can decide to see a silver lining, to see hope. And then lastly, when you feel overwhelmed, I'm going to encourage you on this as we close. Would you please be somebody's encourager? I had somebody once say to me, say, I don't have very good friends. And I said, then you're not a very good friend. Whoa, 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 let's take that over again. person says to me, I don't have very good friends. Then I say, you aren't a very good friend. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't have very good friends. My point is, you are the people you hang out with. You tell me you don't have a good friend and you have other good friends, then I understand that that person might be a bad friend. You tell me you have no good friends, then guess who you choose to hang out with? People who are probably like you. I didn't want to hear that, Pastor. I know. Every one of us wants somebody to be our Elizabeth, and every one of us needs to be somebody's Elizabeth. Jesus didn't say, be kind to those who are nice to you. Jesus said, be nice to your enemy. Be kind to those who persecute you. Why? Because not for them, for you. The spirit of joy comes from the encourager, not the one who is simply encouraged. Elizabeth wasn't grumpy. She accepted her situation. She believed in the hope and the promise of God, and she blessed Mary with the joy of her child too. Let's flip it around. How bad can it get? How good can it get? How bad can it get? Toss it. How good can it get? How bad can it get? Get rid of it. How good can it get? I even prayed this last week. You guys know I've had some wonderful things happen in my life, but I can tell you if you look behind the curtain, I have been panic-stricken because some of the things that have turned for the worse in the midst of it. And I finally walked into my wife and I said, you know, I'm kind of missing this. We're in the middle of a pandemic and it's terrifying. Sure. Do you know we're in the middle of a pandemic in 2020? Anybody want to go through it in 1918? Anyone? You want to go through it in 2020 where they come up with a vaccine in six months? Are you kidding me? Medical science is figuring things out? Whether you want to take it or not, the fact that we can do it? How about 2020 where most of us still have our jobs? We have resources. 1918, you know what they didn't have? They didn't have welfare. They didn't have health insurance, right? They didn't have a stimulus check. Folks, we live in the greatest time in the history of the world, and yet so many of us are like, I'm depressed, miserable, this is terrifying, I'm a victim of circumstances, how are we going to ever make it? I choose choice of joy, I choose joy, I choose hope, I choose promise. And maybe you need to re-engage your marriage, maybe you need to re-engage your friends. But you get it this morning, right? If you're the elderly, encourage the young. If you're the young, encourage your friends and your neighbors. Serve and love the older generation. Care for somebody to share joy. Be like Elizabeth and encourage someone. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.